0: Annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash E5. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by DemandWell. DemandWell is the best SEO solution for B2B SaaS marketers. They've helped customers like Lessonly drive 40% of their revenue from organic search and they help Terminus make Organic Search their number one source of demos. Here's how it works. Number one is results. DemandWell is built for driving the outcomes that B2B marketers care about, demand, traffic, leads, and revenue. Number two is ease and control. Junior team members can follow recommended steps right in the platform, while experts can customize and maintain full control over their work. Number three is speed. With everything in one platform, DemandWell helps you crank out content that ranks and drives leads in minutes rather than hours. SEO expert or not, you can give Demandwell a try and listeners of the Exit 5 podcast can get a free competitive SEO audit to see just how you're ranking relative to the competition. Go to demandwell.com backslash FOMO, that's F-O-M-O, and you can get a free SEO consultation today right from Demandwell. That's demandwell.com backslash FOMO, F-O-M-O, and you'll get a free SEO consultation today.
1: One, two, three, four,
0: exit, five. all right lauren thank you for being here it's nice to reconnect with you you're in a new role new context so people can hear your voice and get a sense of who you are give everybody the full rundown on who you are what you do and maybe the abbreviated career story just to set context for our discussion
1: awesome it's really really good to see you again dave i am going to do my best at abbreviated so cut me off on this So I'm Lauren Baccarello. I am chief marketing officer at SalesLoft. I've been at SalesLoft about six months. It is absolutely incredible for people who aren't familiar with SalesLoft. We're the leading sales engagement platform. So I'm going to try to do my background in 90 seconds. So I've been in the marketing space for the better side of forever. I actually started off in the early days as the equivalent of an SDR and can go into more details on that. I got started in digital marketing also before digital marketing was a socially acceptable profession. And it rose up through that, running my own company for about a hot second. I ran digital at Salesforce, ran marketing at several startups. Uh, eventually, went to Box, where I led the majority of marketing. I was CMO at a company called Talent, uh, which is a data integration company. Uh, I'm on the board of two different companies i invest i advise i am obsessed with marketing obsessed with startups so really really excited to be here
0: love that that was like take notes listeners at home that's how you do it love it i mean your your resume is obviously super impressive i've been following your your journey for a while you've been at salesloft so i think a lot of people will know your name and they will know salesloft but like putting those two things together like i remember when we got reconnected for this. I was like, Oh yeah, she is at sales loft now. So <laughs> tell me about you were CMO at Talend until like the fall of 2021 ish. You joined sales loft at, as CMO, just take me into taking that job because a lot of people listening to this podcast are in a, in similar situations where, you know, they, they want to be either they're, they're a marketing exec now or want to be. And so I'm just interested in kind of like your story and what led you to sales loft.
1: Great question. So, um, I left Holland, uh, end of October last year, great company, great run Um, company got acquired and I loved where they were going, but I also decided I wanted a break. It's funny. I talk more about now than I ever used to, which is the uh, importance of taking care of yourself and self-care and taking time off. And I was in this incredible position that I could actually take six months off and recharge and think about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, which I say with this Incredible privilege being able to say, I'm going to think about my life and really right. focus on me. And then SalesLoft reached out. And I have to tell you, I have been obsessed with this space since I first sort of discovered the idea of sales engagement. So Kyle, who's the CEO of SalesLoft, reached out said, Hey, you know, it would be great to talk. And I got familiar with sales engagement back when I was, you know, running marketing and marketing operations and had the SDR organization. And I remember from like, the dark ages when I was in SDR, what it was like, here's your list of leads, call down, send emails, and how many you could like go through every day. And I remember when I was looking at a sales engagement solution in a past life, my head of marketing operations and I were chatting about it. And I was like, I don't know, what do they get? Like a hundred leads? That's the most they can do. And she looked at me and laughed and she's like, Lauren, it's been a long time since you've been okay. in SDR. That's not how this works anymore. They can actually go through 300 leads. And by the way, the conversion rates that we have using sales engagement, it's not what you think. And it was one of those, I'm officially old now that I don't have the right information. And I saw us go from basically getting the same amount of pipeline from 50 SDRs to what we could do with 15 just by adding like automation and better and personalization and better technology and became this like massive believer in the space Then I meet Kyle who is just freaking amazing and love the guy and got to meet the team. And I think about what gets me excited about any company. And this is my advice for everyone of like, when you're picking a job, here's the things that have to be table stakes. Is it a market you believe in and is the market growing? If the market is not growing, it doesn't matter how good you are, it's gonna be a really hard road. Do you believe in the product? If you believe in the product, and you've got a good market, like this is gold for you. If you have a bad product and a bad market, it's really hard job. And then what do you think of the team? Do you want to spend every day with these people? Do you want to go into battle with these people? Do you want to celebrate with these people? And for me, those are the like minimum table stakes. Check those boxes and then start the process and see if, like, is this the right skill set? Is this something I'm passionate about? And for me, SalesLoft just nailed all of those.
0: I love that. So just this week, I got a question. There was a, an anonymous question in my Exit 5 community. Mm-hmm. And it was somebody being like, Hey, I'm interviewing for, I'm interviewing for this head of marketing role. Mm-hmm. Red flag, red flag, red yeah. flag, red flag, red flag. And it's like, look, every not every job is going to be perfect. But it goes back to what you said, which is like, at the end of the day, like, you're going to be more likely to want to solve those problems if you like if you have an understanding of the market. And so it's cool to hear you talk about like how your your experience in sales and 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 marketing and just being in this space drives a like a desire to have that job. And just those factors, those are the things that are so important outside of the day to day marketing things. I think when when evaluating a new job, because work is hard, right? Like if, if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be called work. But are are you more likely to like? Are you going to want to dig in with something that you that you believe in? And so I think your point about the the believing in the product and believing in the market is is so important for everybody listening. Joining Salesloft, like they're roughly like I don't know where it, where it is now and what you're saying publicly, but like I think uh, most people know that like you know well over a hundred million yeah. in, in ARR. What was the mission? And and I know they. I came from Drift, who also had a, a did a deal with with Vista. Mm-hmm. Salesloft is in that umbrella. Like, yeah. I'm just curious of like the mission, right? Like, bring you in May 2022, well over 100 million ARR. Like, what was the playbook, or like, what do you focus on doing, growing faster, obviously? But like, what 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 was the mission?
1: That's a great question. I mean, obviously, growing faster because we all want that. But I came in and I looked at it from this angle. Like I have seen what the world looks like before sales engagement, and I've seen what the world looks like now. I don't want to go back to that world. I have seen the world of like where marketing technology was 15 years ago and how much better we are now. The sales industry, the sales function has been underserved by technology. Where marketers, we have everything. Sales function has been underserved. And I think there's so much opportunity to better serve a sales organization, to provide better technology. I think about why does sales exist? Where do we want to go? There is no reason that sales engagement should not be day one technology for every single company. Every single business with a sales organization should be using this type of technology. The impact that it will have on productivity, on pipeline, on revenue is so material that I just, I feel like part of my personal mission and the company's mission is to get us to a point where Sales engagement is as ubiquitous as CRM is.
0: How do you see that in the world of of marketing? Because like as as I'm mm-hmm. hearing you say, sales engagement, like I am just kind of like my brain is translating that to revenue, and I mm-hmm. see it as two pieces to the revenue puzzle: is sales and marketing. Yes. But I know because of a lot of people listening and how their org is set up today, they're like, "Well, sales engagement is something that the, the sales leader is going to mm-hmm. buy, and marketing's mm-hmm. over here, and we're generating, we're we're bringing we're bringing things in that, that yeah. that's separate." But I I know you don't see it that way, so. Let's talk about where, like sales engagement fits in the in the marketing puzzle, right? Ninety percent of the people that listen to this are are in the marketing world. Like I'm a CMO sales engagement that comes that's going to come on the sales budget, right? they They'll worry about that. We're going to we have our own goals to hit. how does how do how do you feel about that?
1: I love that question. And then there's like the sales budget and the marketing budget. I'm going to say something that is my gets me into trouble sometimes and also makes people chuckle. Um, I've same. been on the same soapbox about b two b marketing. I kid you not for what year, is for 17 years. I have been saying the same thing for 17 years and 17 years ago, I was like cool and innovative. Now the fact that this isn't with everybody makes me nuts. For whole <laughs> B2B marketers should not care about, like I care about leads in as much as leads drive opportunities pipeline and close one revenue. If a B2B marketer only cares about leads, that B2B marketer is lazy. That is not what we should be thinking about. We should be measured on something you can buy a beer with. It's funny, I think I stole that from Craig Rosenberg like 10 years ago and I'm still taking credit for it. It was Craig Rosenberg or Matt Hines that I stole this from 10 years ago. So we should be metrics on something you can buy a beer with on pipeline, on revenue, on close one deals. The reason marketers need to care about sales engagement is our job is not to generate some leads, kick it over the fence to the sales organization our job is to help close business. We're building the brand. We're setting us up for demand. We're giving sales that fast. We're helping them win. So we need to care about sales engagement for number one, it's going to make the money we spend on demand gen a lot more effective. And then you have that on the like pipeline side. And then when you move it throughout the revenue motion and you work with the sales team on how to better move pipeline to close, like It's fun. And it's interesting. And as marketing and sales, we need to go in completely lockstep of, look, I don't care where the lead came in. I don't care who gets credit. We want to win and we want to win this together.
0: Yeah, that was like the hardest lesson that I learned as a first time marketing leader, which is like my sales. So I was like 28. And my sales counterpart was probably a decade older than me. And he had already had two successful exits. And so he's like, hey, you're good at marketing, you're creative. But like, I don't think you really understand how how the business works. And he's mm-hmm. like, I don't care. You keep telling me about this and that source. And no. I don't care. He's like, I need my reps, need we need X meetings every single month of this quality and they need to convert this rate. He goes, You could tell me that we're gonna do a roadshow all across the world and we're gonna do field events and direct mail, and that's how we're gonna hit the number. Don't care. I want those meetings. And yes. I think in doing this podcast and talking to you and others, like, you know, Bill Macitas, who who I know, you know, you you work with mm-hmm. back in the day, like it's liberating to hear that. It's like, no it's about revenue. And so you see it as it sounds like you see it as it's just, you have this one big toolbox, salespeople, sales as a function is, is one lever that you have. Why not make that like a shared role between sales and marketing? And we're going to work on this things together.
1: Absolutely. And I look at this, it's so easy to look at things by function, and it's like, well, your brand team is going to do your brand ads, and then your demand person is going to do demand, and then your SDRs are going to take the lead, and then your A is going to follow up, and then your solutions engineer is going to do this, and then it goes to your CSM. But if you look at it as, well, what's the entire revenue motion? We need to get the most out of the entire revenue motion, and that starts with brand awareness. And ends with they are a happy, successful customer. And if you approach this as how do we maximize the entire revenue motion? And we don't think about, well, technically, this is an AE's role. And technically, this is my brand marketer's role. And you're like, it's the same person. It's the same revenue motion.
0: Yeah, it just gets hard inside of a company because like that AE has a quota and they report to Jane and Jane has a team of six people and they're competing against Peter's team who has six six other people. And it's like one of the many reasons why I'm not in a company right now is, and I don't mean to talk down about anybody who is at a company, you're obviously doing amazing things, but what drives me nuts about the B2B marketing stuff is it does seem like so often we are battling more about internal issues than we are like creative problem solving.
1: Totally. It's funny. I'll give you a, an example. I had a, I just joined SalesLoft and I was new. And the good thing is when you're new, you don't realize what you're doing and we're going through pipeline, and you know, we ended up winning this amazing deal. We win this amazing, really big deal. It's awesome. So this is the information that I have. And I remember sitting in this room, and is it, you know, did this person come through inbound? Did this account come through outbound? Is this marketing's credit? Is it sales credit? And it was good sized deal for us. And I remember sitting in this room, and it's halfway through the quarter, so basically, One team hit their number already halfway through the quarter because of this one big deal. And I sat in the room and I just went, everyone, I don't really care because that deal's an anomaly. Nobody gets credit for it because whoever gets credit looks like you don't have any more work to do. So right now, nobody gets, we will comp people and we'll make sure people get paid. But in terms of performance, nobody gets this deal. It's going to skew the data. And I had no idea that it was this sort of point of contention. And that going, no, nobody gets it. Sort of diffused all of it and let us say, well, okay, now we are the same team. What are we doing?
0: Yeah, it's interesting how that drives your thinking. It's like, you know, it is it is an interesting thought experiment, I think, to think about like for the marketers listening, like, how would you operate differently if it wasn't sales on one team, marketing on another? You were just... This revenue leader, and you had twenty people whose job was to to do sales. How would you use them and and what would you do in that scenario? You mentioned your background coming up as an SDR. How much of that drives your, I think, very clear point of view? Like it's very clear to me like why you believe this way because like you're a CMO now, but you came up through sales. Talk about that a little bit,
1: so this is my back in the day. Lauren was a bit of a hustler story.
0: A so, bit of a hustler. I think you still are I for think, the record. I,
1: I think I am. I, I try to be very uh, proper and corporate and a source of wisdom now.
0: Oh, that makes one of us.
1: <laughs> but for those who know me, still a bit of a hustler. So this was about a thousand years ago. Salesforce was like newer, CRM was newer. And I have this job and I, I get a list of names that I have to go and pick up the phone and call and sell trading accounts to. So I've got this. But I also was in this really weird position because like I said, I got into digital marketing before digital marketing was a thing. So my first week at this job where I get hired to sell trading accounts and retail trading accounts, I walk over to the marketing team and I was like, hey, I heard you do paid search. I've done this before. You need help? Who would do that? And walk over to the marketing team and say like, hey, I know how to do this better, but a young person with lots of hubris. And of course they were like, sure, jump in. So at the time I was doing their paid search and this was back in, I don't know, 2004 when nobody was doing this, maybe 2000, I think it was 2004. So I'm seeing their Google AdWords and I'm running paid search. And I do that for maybe four hours a day and then eight hours a day, I'm a salesperson. So I'm getting lead lists. And I had this realization that some of the leads that I get are better than other leads. I wonder why this happens. And because I was controlling the advertising and where money and where how we get leads and what's coming in, I had this totally different viewpoint because I knew what keywords we were advertising on. I knew what the messaging said. I knew what the landing page said. So as a salesperson, I knew how to mimic whatever was in the ad. And because I knew how to use Salesforce and I set up campaigns and I set up tracking. So then I did a Google search, found Keaton, which became Salesforce for Google AdWords, which allowed me to integrate Google AdWords with Salesforce and pump in my AdWords data into Salesforce so I could see which keywords were driving which better deals. And I was like, this is magic. I'm now gonna optimize what keywords to advertise on but because Lauren was a hustler and had a number to hit, I also built my own lead lists. So I prioritized the leads for myself that were on the keywords that had the highest conversion rate. And this was before lead routing and before lead scoring. So I like figured out the system and I learned firsthand, this is better quality, this is how to tie together what they see, what they believe, what my pitch is, and this is how I can close my deal. So I just had this very different point of view. And now as a marketing leader, I push so much making sure what you say in the market is the same thing as what the salesperson says because this is how you drive better deals. Also, it's probably why I pushed my team so hard on, I don't care about leads, leads don't matter. Like what matters is what's going to close because I had to carry a bag once upon a time.
0: I love that. I also think um, it probably gave you... I don't know if empathy is the right word, but like if you're eating from the things that you were hunting for yourself, you're yeah. going to like, it's like the example of like, if you, if marketing just does a bunch of webinars and just tosses a bunch of webinars over a sales team and they're like, why are you not closing these? And it's like, hold yeah. on, you you ha- get on this phone call and like yep. try to call this person and actually talk about this thing. Completely. Can you talk through just kind of where Sales Loft is today and already being like a bigger revenue company in the space what is the go to market approach? Obviously, I'm not asking you to like give away, you know, company secrets, but I think like, how do you think about the marketing strategy? Clearly mm-hmm. you have a good grasp on the market today. You've already closed a bunch of business. Like, what is your approach to marketing? And and if you could talk about the, you know, where sales fit, just kind of the, the whole go to market strategy that you're that you see now. Hey, so I created Exit 5 to help you build a successful career in B2B marketing. First, it started off as my private podcast on Patreon, and many of you who listen to this today probably are OGs and remember that. I was talking about my lessons and learnings going from PR intern to CMO, Then it morphed into a Facebook group and quickly became one of the top resources for marketers in B2B SaaS. Today, this is a full-blown company. We have three full-time employees and ambitions to grow the team and keep building and hire more people this year. And we're investing in everything that's working, which right now is everything. It's Amazing. We're making a big update to our community. We're doubling down on this podcast to serve the 5,000 people that listen every week. We're investing in our newsletter and written content to help the 16,000 people that get our emails. We're even hosting our first in-person event in September. We're building Exit 5 to help you grow your career in B2B marketing because really there's no school for B2B marketing. You can't get a degree in how to build pipeline and there isn't a playbook for how to get promoted in your career. And That's why I'm telling you right now to go and join the Exit 5 community. Go to exit5.com. You can click join right there. There's a free seven-day trial. So If you're listening to this podcast, if you are one of those 5,000 people that listen to this podcast every single week and you have not joined our community yet, go and do that. At least go and check out the seven-day free trial. You'll sign up. You'll put your credit card in, but we don't bill you until seven days. It's a seven-day free trial and... This is, this is really Dave. We really do all of this. I want to build a company that is customer friendly. And that means that if you sign up, And two weeks into this thing, you realize it's not for you. You can email us and cancel. But I want you to go check it out. It's a seven-day free trial. Go to exit5.com. You can get in our community and you'll see why it's so much more than just a discussion forum. Exit 5 is a B2B marketing resource that's there for you when you need it the most. When your boss comes to you and says, hey, we need you to come up with an ABM strategy for this year and you've never done that before, you go to Exit 5 and you ask that question or you go and search the hundreds of posts before you. When you want to look for a new job but you're not ready to post about it on LinkedIn yet, you can quietly browse for open roles and see who's hiring inside of exit five, or maybe you need to build a peer group of other people in your job function, but LinkedIn is too broad to dig through. You can find out who else works in product marketing in your niche or who else, who else is a director in the $1 million, to $10 million company range. You can do that inside of exit five. Maybe you want freelance, maybe you you need to make a video in a pinch and you need recommendations for a freelance videographer that can work on your next product launch video and they're located in the US and within your range of budget, that is why we built Exit 5 and that's what you can go in there and do. So go and check it out, exit5.com, start a free trial, and we'll see you inside of the community.
1: I will tell you a little bit about how I think about marketing and how I look at marketing. So I obviously came up as a very revenue-oriented, revenue-driven, like our job is to make money, and I, I spent a bunch of years at Salesforce building out digital there. And that's where I learned this idea of the importance of brand. And it really taught me brand doesn't mean you're a billboard on the side of the freeway. Brand is who you are in the market. Brand is what lets you make the pie bigger and lets you change the perception. So when I came into Sales Loft, I really am thinking about a couple of things. One is, who are we in? How big is this market? And who are we in this market? So what does our brand mean? Who are we? And it's not a billboard on the side of the freeway. It is the category. It's how people perceive us. And then that, for me, sets us up for demand in the long term. And if we do this right, our demand strategy three years from now is so much easier because we have been making the pie a lot bigger. So part of us are focused on this whole brand concept. The second piece is really focused on how do we drive demand? what are our, from enterprise to commercial for someone who grew up in digital, I love field marketing. I just love the convergence of sort of online and offline together. I think there's so much goodness that can happen there. And so much goodness that happens with really closely aligning with the seller and not just about how do I drive a lead, but how do I progress a deal all the way through the funnel? There's such an interesting psychology to that and partnering with the sales team. And then, uh, I think for my entire career, <laughs> I've been working on marketing infrastructure. There's just always different stages of different companies, and I think a lot about like what's processed, what's scalable, and how do I make sure we have the right people, process, systems, technology for three years from now.
0: Why do you uh, obsess over infrastructure?
1: It is the thing that when done well, nobody pays attention to, when is not done well, will grind your entire department to a halt. It's the unsexy part of marketing is like the back end technology. That is one of the most important things because it will speed up everything else you do.
0: Can you give me an example about like the grinding to a halt? Is it like not having insight or data and to know what to do or what what's working? Like what is the
1: insight and data. So I've seen at different companies I've been at over my career, how long do you think it should take you to get a web page live?
0: My personal opinion is it's seven minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're like, I have the copy. Can I go yeah, in here? For real. I yes. have worked at places where it's two weeks. And it's not even because what well, we're waiting on copy. It's, well, this is how long it takes. I have worked at places where, thankfully, none of these places are sales loft, where they had a multilingual a site with lots of languages. The way the code base was set up was not done well. So if they would update the French website some modules might revert to English. So you have a French webpage that is partially in French and partially in English, just because, well, this bit of code wasn't written properly. And it's the death by a thousand cuts. And I've seen those things happen so many times that it it is a thankless job to fix, but at some point someone has to, and I happen to be a little bit more technical than most CMOs, so I will pick up on that sooner and i'll usually want to invest in fixing it before it is a hair on fire problem
0: also i mean that's one example of like a website technical thing slowing you down but to your point about infrastructure when you have a motion like i don't know know the right way to phrase it so maybe easier is not better but i feel like when you have like a hundred percent inbound driven model it's pretty easy because it's everything is digital. And so it's going to be much easier to measure. It's like, yeah. it gets harder as you do what, what you're doing at SalesOff, mm-hmm. which is yeah. like you're selling bigger deals. You have, it's more of becoming more of an enterprise motion. And it's like, you're trying to match up all these things that don't all quate. Like someone yeah. may have read a blog post, but they also attended a, an event that you did in Chicago. And then yeah. they also got a message from Kyle Porter. It's like, is it is it having to do with stitching all those things together in some measurable way?
1: There's a big piece of that. And it is the... I hate to use the word easy. If you have a like US English direct only commercial business that, you know, is more velocity, great.
0: Like if you and me, if you and me right now, we started a a SaaS app. It's 100% self-serve. It's only one language in the US. We could easily measure full funnel attribution. No problem. Right.
1: But now let's throw in, let's throw in channel. Let's throw in enterprise with like some... (laughs) multi-touch. Okay, let's have a let's have a buying committee. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's everything gets complicated. Yeah. What's the right system? Who's doing what? And what you don't want to do is look at things the wrong way and cut off say a source that's driving all of your leads or cut off the thing that's closing it and it's the evolution of a company just means the systems your how you think about things needs to evolve as well.
0: So do you have a philosophy like h- how do you measure that stuff today like with a uh, marketing and sales mix that yeah. that varies along processes you know tech and people and events and this and that do you have a philosophy on like how you how you wrangle the measurement of all that pick one and stick with it is that developed like is that just a philosophy that like you all need to get on the same page with internally like it's not like a cookie cutter playbook but it's like CMO, CEO, CRO, product, whoever, we need to come into agreement on how we're going to define this.
1: We need to come to agreement and we need to sort of stick with that agreement. There are some core principles that I try to always have. One of them is having a finite look back period for marketing. It's really easy to say, if marketing has ever touched this lead, marketing gets credit. I mean, it makes us look great, but it's also not always intellectually honest. So is there some sort of a look back period? If your average deal cycle is six months, if marketing touched that lead 18 months ago, I'm where it's not us. It was, you know, say an outbound salesperson. So we'll we'll look at that to give us a finite look back period. The thing that's always interesting is like, what's the difference between partner and channel and really defining that? I always like to have a whether that's how you really measure things from an attribution perspective. I like to really understand like what sourced the lead because I want to make sure we never kill the thing that sourced the lead. It might not have been the most important tactic, but I need to know what are the things that sourced it and what's the last thing that happened before it converted to an opportunity. So I like to look at that from a visibility standpoint. And then your attribution model the look, none of them are perfect. Nothing is perfect you don't know what people did that you can't track. The good thing about digital is you can track everything. The bad thing about digital is you can track everything. So you just need to pick the best and perfect option and have everybody agree with it and have consistency.
0: Do you have a philosophy on like, um, you mentioned marketing getting credit. Do you have a philosophy on like, is it marketing source? Like how how do you look at how marketing gets credit at SalesLoft?
1: Mm-hmm. Commercial In- business. Influence. Yes. I hate influence. Tell people me why people have worked me for a while. Know that I'm like, ah, fine.
0: Let's t- let's educate people. Tell us why.
1: Well, so do so for commercial business. So velocity side of business marketing tends to be able to drive more. So for that, I do like to look at marketing source. We can usually take a bigger piece of the pie on sort of velocity commercial enterprise is harder, partially because there's fewer enterprises in this world and. They may not come in as much through, say, digital. So it's going to be maybe more field events. Marketing does more air cover and more uh, pipe maturation.
0: Or there's like six people, like a lead doesn't have the same value because there's six people in the account that you're trying exactly. to talk to. Yeah,
1: And it's like, well, Dave was, tar- was tagged as the primary contact, but really I was talking to Allie. And it's just it gets really, really kludgy when you have an enterprise deal, where commercial, it's a lot more straightforward. Why I don't love influence? In a lot of ways, influence is going to sort of double credit and double count things. And I think influence is a great way to make you feel really good of like, this email, influenced $10 million. And you're like, did it really? Or did you email every single open account?
0: Or like marketing owns the website. And of course, because it's 2022, someone is going to go to Sales Loft's website exactly. at some point, right? Like, so does marketing get credit for that?
1: And the thing I do like looking at for events, I like to look at pipeline in the room, which is, I, this is something we used to do at Salesforce back in the day was, if you have an owned event, I want to know how much open pipeline is sitting in that room. So I want to know how many open deals, how much money do I have sitting in this room? And so we'll set a target on that. And then after that, I wanna know what happens because pipeline sitting in the room sort of like an influence, great input metric. I had however many million dollars sitting in that room. Now what I wanna know is the pipeline sitting in that room, how much of that closed? Did we close at a higher rate than similar deals who weren't in that room? Was our deal size bigger? Was our velocity bigger? And that's why, like, that's really what I want to look at or what are those um, sort of pipe movement metrics.
0: Even just working backwards from that, that having that mindset is going to frame what type of event you 100%. need to do. If you do a very fluffy, inspirational type of... I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if you do that, then you're not going to close more deals because people went to that versus if you're teaching them how to do something better at work yeah. or how to, you know, improve their their sales motion because they went to your event. I think it just has so much impact on like the offer, which is the, the what was the event about.
1: Completely. And that's why when I think about events and we work the team on it, it's sometimes you want the fluffy, you want the big thought leadership event. And sometimes it's about closing. So before we host an event, before we show up at an event, it is, why do we have this? If this is a event about closing great, how many big deals are in this room? I want percentage of deal of large deals. I want pipeline in the room and those are gonna be the metrics we track. But if this is about brand awareness, then pipeline in the room maybe matters less. It's going to be leads in our total addressable market. It's how many people with a certain title in a certain industry or from our target list are in there. So the, the way you think about it starts to be different and then also influences the content that you have.
0: Let's talk to the the future CMOs listening to this podcast. What would 10 years ago, maybe 17 years ago, or whatever the number is, what are the lessons that you wish that you knew? Or to frame it another way, like to the person who is you know, managing maybe a team or two or three people, wants to be CMO, what types of like ways does your mind have to change and how you think about marketing and the role of marketing as a company to progress from like, Marketing manager or director to like CMO at a very successful company like you?
1: One of the things is get to know the business as much as you can. It is not just about your function and your piece of the pie, it is about the whole pie. So, like, I'll give you an example. When I was at first started at Salesforce, I don't know, it was like 2008 or 2008 ish, I was running paid search and then I was running paid acquisition and eventually all of digital. But the reason my career grew so quickly was. I wanted to know everything about how the company worked. I'd listen to earnings calls. I'd try to understand the rest of the business. And then I'd say, how does my job help business goals and business outcomes? So my job isn't to you know, drive leads and pipeline from you know, paid search. My job is to, okay, what are our clear goals? We're growing in these territories. We need to hire more AEs. How can my function support that? Like know that, know the business. And the, uh, I'm going to say the other thing I wish I knew, it's the good and bad, is um, I never knew what I couldn't do. I didn't realize, I mean, the job where I was an SCR and then I was eventually running paid search and online marketing for them. I was in my early 20s and I was running online advertising for the eighth largest online advertiser. I was grossly unqualified for this. But I had no idea that I was unqualified and my hubris was like, I can do this. I got this. I love that I had that and that sort of lack of self-realization. I just never knew I couldn't do something. So I kept pushing. So keep that. The flip side of that is I didn't realize where I was wrong in the things I did it now. Everything was so black and white. This is what makes money. This is what's good. This is how you should do it. It wasn't until I was forced, I was asked to take over Salesforce's first brand campaign. Like I thought brand was dumb and why would you do this? It doesn't make any money, this is silly. I wish I saw the bigger picture of why it's so important before it had to like get dropped on my plate. And now I'm the person that is like, no, this is why when brand does well, it will change the trajectory of your company.
0: I love that. I love I love both sides of this, and I think a, a mix of. I'm just seeing this as somebody like observing you your career, and we've had conversations in the past. I think it, it seems also like you have a just a constantly growing curiosity for like maybe that's the way you're doing it in salesloft today, but you're talking to other marketing leaders, and you're kind of just like always trying to see you know wh- how other people are doing it, what are better ways to do it. Like I think you have to have that ability to stay curious, but also you know you've seen. 15 plus years of technology changes in marketing, but you seem to still have this like philosophy that's rooted in these timeless principles. And, and it's like, you know, throw whatever AI, new tech, new tools at you. I think you'd still be able to effectively run marketing because you're you're rooted in the principles of like, well, marketing is ultimately a business function where the goal is driving revenue. So like operate from there. I meant to ask you this earlier and you re-saying it, not to like throw us back on top, but just, I'd love to hear you talk about brand for a little bit because it seems like Brand is not just some fluffy word. Do you have a way of measuring brand and quantifying this and like just the way that brand and demand work together?
1: Yes. I'm gonna give you my as quickly as possible, sort of why Lauren was wrong about brand story, because I like to admit and own up to the times that I was wrong. So I alluded to it. I ended up inheriting, and when I was running advertising at Salesforce, I inherited their Wall Street Journal campaign. So we had at the time they had, um, a two-year deal with the wall street journal
0: wait hold on hold on wasn't that just isn't just the same little mark benioff runs that same graphic every week how hard is that
1: it was so long time ago and maybe soon so it was front page of the wall street journal monday edition we get a print ad it's the only one i am like i don't want to have this someone else buys this now i'm running this thing and going oh my gosh what i could do with seven million dollars i could drive 70 million dollars in in pipeline and revenue for this company and I should have this money, but fine, I've got to run this. And I pick it up begrudgingly. And I have to run this for two years. And over the course of two years, what I realize is this is how we're going to tell our story. And what if every single week, it's a different ad that starts to tell this broader narrative. And the reason we're doing this front page thing is we believe that CEOs are looking at the Wall Street Journal. And we believe that we, well, at the time, Salesforce was a... You know, it's the thing for your sales later. And it's like, it's no, a every, it's a serum. Every CEO needs to know about this. This needs to be strategic. So what we're doing with the front page ad is now lined up to the message we have in market for advertising. It's what we're doing from, um, we have sellers going in painting this bigger vision. And it's this whole, I think at the time it was a social enterprise concept, but we use this to like, how do we reshape people's perception of Salesforce? And it wasn't just the Wall Street Journal, but it was that in combination with everything else. That over the course of the two years, I saw the perception of Salesforce change from you're just a CRM to this is now something every CEO knows about and cares about. And I was like, this is why I'm wrong. Because yes, I could have made $70 million. That was the wrong choice. The right choice was changing the perception and sort of changing what the category is around Salesforce and how this... um relates uh, even to Salesloft and to sort of how we measure brand. I would love to wait two years for the impact of what I'm doing and, you know, crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. How I like to measure success of is this working with brand? You can do the big brand awareness study. Those are great. You do it twice a year. There is a time and place for that. I also like to look at things like branded search volume just to give me some leading indicators. If you're running a brand campaign, if like say we're running a brand campaign for Salesloft. I assume more people are searching for sales loft because if more people know, volume starts to go up.
0: So you're just looking at straight up like organic in- increase in organic and direct traffic?
1: Increase in organic and direct traffic are great, great proxies for this. Also, if you can run a couple of test markets, so like Minneapolis and Phoenix look similar. Run a brand campaign in Minneapolis and Phoenix. Check the brand studies and the brand metrics. But the other thing I like to look at is what's happening with our win rates? In those two cities and how can I compare win rates trending over the time how can I compare connect rates and get some anecdotal feedback from your salespeople to say no people actually know who we are and are paying more attention people know what our message is so there's a really good ways to start to see what the impact of brand is because it's like I said it's not just the billboard on the freeway it is and brand has done well it makes the sales process easier.
0: Mm. So like if you wanted to do the the billboard on the freeway, you would pick a market and actually yeah. go and, and measure that and test that and have a philosophy. Because I, I think that the Salesforce story is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was that was mm-hmm. you. I've always seen the, those ads. But I, I do think like clearly that, was, that wasn't that was like junior marketing managers, like let's do the Wall Street Journal. Like I'm sure Mark Benioff and others were like, we're going to do this regardless. You better figure out how to make it work. I think it's easier to execute in that when like the, you have a CEO who like believes in that and is like, hey, we want to do this. But I think like your the much more tactical advice for for like just the regular listener of this podcast is like take a bet with some brand mm-hmm. campaign stuff and you can measure that by lifting organic and direct or do what you mentioned, which is pick a particular market. But that seems to be like after you have some set, like you have to have some type of scale to be able to do that, right?
1: You should have some type of scale and don't just pick one test city, one control, because there could be some sort of anomaly. So if you can do three cities, three tests, three controls, you can actually do it for a reasonable amount of money once you have the test cities. And what I like about doing test cities is I never pick a New York or a San Francisco. I never, it's just, there's too much noise.
0: Yeah. And probably so expensive right out of the gate too, right?
1: Completely. And you want to see, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? So if you do like a Minneapolis and Phoenix, go big in those cities and see what it looks like. The mm. other way to think about brand awareness, as much as I love my mother, she's not a buyer of sales loft. She doesn't necessarily need to see my brand campaign. So if you know exactly who your target audience is, if you were selling to revenue leaders, you know who your sales, uh, who your target audience is, Go big with just your target audience. What's been great in the last, you know, decade or two? There's really good targeting options out there. Again, as much as I love my mom, there is not a reason for her to see an ad for sale. Are, are
0: you talking about like for out of home type stuff?
1: For uh, even for digital, go heavy for digital just advertising. Um, for out of home, if, if sorry, back in the back in the day, I was running campaigns towards ad agencies, and it was trying to get ad agencies to you to product ad agencies all uh most of their offices are in the same location so for out of home we knew exactly who our target audience is literally show up where they are so we did all of our out of home around where ad agencies are we did in person guerrilla marketing physically where the ad agencies were because we're like it's our awareness campaign but we don't need everybody we need these people
0: got it and then and even in your like Minneapolis and Phoenix example you're talking about targeting specifically like digital properties in those geos yeah.
1: do digital properties in those geos and this is also where you are going to test the out of home give out of home a try there's a, a company that i advise that actually you can buy uh media and tv spots now that have better targeting options for obviously specific location also specific personas depending on the services you're using
0: is there a time frame that you feel like that has to run for, for it to be effective? Because I, you know, like you put up a billboard for a week. Is that going to yeah, do, do uh, the trick?
1: Minimum, minimum 30 days. If you can get away with doing it for 90, do it for 90 to see the bigger impact because you also want to see the impact on the sales process. So 90 days will give you a much better test run to do this. The thing that is always a little disappointing with brand campaigns is you'll see everything go up when the campaign runs and then you stop it and it goes back to barely above where it was before. Not Mm. always, but often, especially when you're only doing like a 90 day blitz.
0: Is it a short-term solution to drive pipeline or like how do you, you just live with that?
1: If you're actually starting to see the positive impact, if you're running a brand campaign and you are seeing an increase in organic traffic, you're seeing an increase in win rates, it could end up being, even though brand you should not be measuring directly on revenue, it could end up having a really positive direct revenue impact. And what you want to see is, does this work? If so, what works? And then that shouldn't be a three-month blitz. Once you have that data, that should then fuel a, okay, are we going specific cities? Are we going specific personas? And now let's turn this into an always-on.
0: Got it, got it. So the ultimate outcome, the most success would be like, it turns into an always-on thing. And maybe after two years, it stops working, but at least for that time. Okay. Okay. This was fantastic. Obviously, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. Lauren, thank you so much for doing this. Just let's wrap up and just a quick plug for you and Salesloft where people can just say hi to you if they want to do that after.
1: Sure. Uh you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just Lauren Vaccarello. Uh come find us for Salesloft. We are all over the internet um and you can see us on salesloft.com.
0: Awesome. Lauren, thank you so much. It was great to reconnect with you and uh we'll stay in touch and I'll make sure you get a get a link to this in a couple of weeks when when we're back up okay
1: thanks for having me this was so all right. much
0: fun all right bye thanks Allie. see you later thanks. hey thanks for listening to this episode of the exit 5 podcast if you're in b2b marketing and you want to grow your career you should also go and check out everything that we have over at exit5.com we've got articles we've got videos we've got templates plus we have a community a community of over 4000 b2b marketing pros We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. annual membership to exit five that's valued at 275 dollars just for checking them out and the tool is free if you're not already a member this is a great opportunity and if you are and you want to learn more go to apollo.io slash e5